Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Here's the thing about picnics for me. Picnics for me are like it, it, like along the line of like, you know, like the idea of sex in the shower, like all of these things that seem nice, but in practice <laughs> are just like not great. You know, um, sex in the mm-hmm, shower, somebody's mm-hmm. always cold. Somebody's always like not under the hot water and just sitting there freezing, which is not sexy. And then like with picnics, it's just that there's like bugs and, you know, and then sometimes like the wind will come and blow stuff all over the place to get everything like there's just so much opportunity for chaos involved in picnics that like, I like the idea, but that picture of you and Lacey, so cute and so sweet. And like, there was a company that came and brought you the the picnic and laid it all out for you at a little table. It was adorable. Um, so like, yeah. And I've heard you mention picnics with her a couple of times. Like you guys like eating yes. outdoors. That's like a thing for you. Well, I mean, I, I like picnics okay. Yeah. I was actually kind of in the same boat as as you, yeah. uh, but she loves them, mm-hmm. and I don't hate them. Right? Like, oh, like okay. so. It, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm uh, digging ditches <laughs> to go on one. But let me tell you yes. that actually, your comparison is apt uh-huh. because what I have come to realize, and this applies to both sex in the shower and picnics, and therefore other things as well. Yes. I think mm-hmm. is that. This is this is an idea that actually is good. Yeah. But you can't just do it on a whim. Like you've got to have the right setup. Right? Yes. You have yes. to have the mm-hmm. right setup because we've probably stayed uh, well, I mean, I know I have. I'm saying you've probably stayed like in a hotel mm-hmm. with a big shower with two shower heads or something like that. Yeah, those I actually circumstances, saw there are specific circumstances in which it's not terrible. Right. And it, so they set it up and you show up and it's all ready to go and gorgeous. And then you're there for a couple hours and then they come and clear it away. And it is. Yes. Yeah. That is the way to do a picnic. And if there was a company that made sex in the shower. Like, work that well, I would totally be into it. Modern problems require modern solutions, Lonnie. That's what I'm trying to say to you. God and damn the right. modern problem of sex in the shower has been solved, has been as solved. have <laughs> picnics. So. All right. Well, I really can't think of a smooth segue from that conversation <laughs> into uh, this week's uh, episode issue of um, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, this is the final issue that we're reading of this run. And I have to say, I have mixed feelings about it. For um, now. Uh, for now. We're going to come back yes, to this yes. run later. I think we should because I really need to discuss the rest of it that I am rapidly reading. So like my mixed feelings are, <laughs> I'm going to miss talking about it. And also... But I really want to do JLA. I really want to talk about different things. I really want to see like this wide variety of stories. And also, now I can read ahead because I don't have to be worried that I'm going to accidentally include a spoiler from a later issue in our discussions here, which I don't want to do. So I think that's going to work out really well. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out where the break is because we don't want 100 episode seasons. And my plan, my tentative plan, so nobody listening to this gets super excited, but my tentative plan 
is that we will do the next arc of JLA, which is uh, which is actually a couple of one shots. So yeah. it's only two or three issues. Makes, mm-hmm. makes it easy. Um, I am going to introduce you to one of my favorite Hellcat stories. Uh-huh. Because I love her. I'm excited um, to read some Hellcat. And then I'm trying to figure out how to fit... Uh, because that's actually too short. Those two things together, I think, will be a little a little short yeah. for a season. But the I, I just need to figure out where the next good break is mm-hmm. in uh, in Cap. And uh, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it because if there's not one, we'll <laughs> uh, figure it out. But I say all that to say I love that you're reading ahead because this is actually a story that, and I'm going to have to talk around this some today in the Jack yeah. Monroe issue. But mm-hmm. this is a story that builds on itself. As it goes. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't think you need to read all the way to the end of the 10-year run or whatever for yeah. us to come back and talk about it. Mm-hmm. But being a few issues ahead, I yeah. think, is going to be great. I, I think mm-hmm. we need to be a little more open to uh, being a little spoilery issue by issue in order to yeah. talk about, like... That that the callbacks and the, the building upon picture. yeah yeah some of the stuff that's going on there so we will of course figure all that stuff out off mic and then we'll let you guys know what's going on but for today uh, here we are talking about um, the lonesome death the lonesome life and death the lonesome death of Jack Monroe um, just the lonesome death just the lonesome yeah. death of Jack Monroe uh, issue number seven in this run we finished the first arc um, in this which I think is really been so interesting for me because the structure work in comics is different and I'm learning so much and I absolutely love that. Um, But yeah, let's talk a little bit about this issue. I guess we start with the summary, right? Jack, roll the music. In Captain America Volume 5, Issue 7, sometimes known as the seventh issue of the Ultimate Collection of Winter Soldier, we find the lonesome death of Jack Monroe. We follow one-time sidekick to not one, but two Captains America during his final months of life. We come to learn who Jack Monroe was, who he thinks he is, and who he actually is, all before he's murdered in cold blood by someone he's never met, but to whom he has a deep connection. Oh... Okay, there is so much to unpack <laughs> in this story. Um, and I mean, here's the thing, like anybody who has listened to us on Listen Up A-Holes, which was our Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, um, anybody who's listened to me talk basically about anything knows how much I love a good identity story. And this one is like... 12 identity stories in a trench coat. Um, It's such a mess. There are so many of them. I can't keep track of anything. And, you know, we've got this unreliable narrator sharing all of this history, all of this detail. Um, And the thing is, is that, like, I I don't dislike an unreliable narrator. You mean, from a professional standpoint, I don't think it's bad at all. I don't think it's a bad device. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. just tweaks, like, my personal issues, which, by the way just for people out there, is an insanely useful way of using fiction to understand yourself better. So when you find yourself feeling really strongly about something, be it positively or negatively, I really recommend curiosity rather than condemnation. Um, It is so much more useful to you and everyone else 
when you choose to talk about it, you know? Um, but anyway, for me, like instead of, which I think most people have with unreliable narrators, they're like, Ooh, here's a puzzle. I can figure it out. What's real. What's not. And that's very engaging. I respond with, wait a minute, what the fuck is going on here? I don't understand anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and since there are no other narrators in the story, although we do get some um, kind of omniscient POV when we see the reflections yeah. between what Jack sees and what the reality is. Um, I feel like I'm just not connected enough to a reality to understand and decode what is real, what is not, because some of what Jack sees is real and some of his, his mm-hmm. you know, his sight is interpretive of things that are not actually there, which I think is just a really interesting way of looking at all of us and the ways that our personal narratives change the meaning behind something that we may see and and just interpret in a way that may not actually be connected with reality, which I think happens to a lot of us a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that's it. Like, you know, my problem with this is not the comics problem. That is my problem. That's something for me to take to my therapist. One, one of the ways in which fiction is really, really helpful when you respond strongly to something interrogate those reasons because you will learn some interesting shit about yourself um so what was your response to this issue well let me say first i think you have an added layer i mean you you come to this very self-aware about your feelings about an unreliable narrator and jack is definitely (laughs) an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. like with purpose Mm -hmm. but you have an added layer here that is not as much your fault uh which is that so much of the reason that jack has become an unreliable narrator in this issue is based upon decades of comic book history. Now, it's Mm -hmm. not like he shows up nonstop since the 50s. In fact, he wasn't really there in the 50s, even though we've decided he has. We'll Mm -hmm. come back to how retcons work a little (laughs) later in the the conversation. But you're you're just he comes up he he bubbles up he bubbles down he comes up he goes down sometimes he's more important he was actually a big deal through part mm-hmm. of the '90s for a mm-hmm. minute you know um, and also uh, as an aside special thanks to friend of the show Matt Liparata for pointing out that Brubaker is responding to uh, Mark Grunwald's uh-huh. last seminal run like the last this is the big most important run well mm-hmm. there was a Mark Wade run in there that was pretty good but we don't yeah. talk about it all the time like they talk about Grunwald's mm-hmm. run and and Brubaker is really vibing off a lot of what Grunwald did which involved Jack Monroe it involved Red Skull getting a clone of Captain America's body like there's just a lot of this right mm-hmm. that is reflected here you don't have any of that you know, yeah. and when it comes to the Grunwald stuff, I have read that, but probably when it was new, like mm-hmm. I, I haven't revisited it. So I don't even have all of it. So on top of your sort of reasonable personal interrogation of unreliable narrator, you also have the some of this we are supposed to realize is true, but mm-hmm. you don't have that background, right? right. Like you just mm-hmm. don't have it. Mm-hmm. So it all feels unreliable to you. Um, yeah. And we'll unpack some of that. You know, as we go, and 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 actually, in a in a real way, I think that enhances the experience of the issue. I think knowing some of the where some of the bumpers are, like mm-hmm. knowing where some of the reality definitely is, maybe undermines for me how unreliable Jack is supposed to be getting as the <laughs> right. issue goes. You know, well, and as you bring that up. Um, You know, what I find really interesting is that it really speaks to Brubaker in that he is taking, you know, an entire history of 
you know, of Jack being used in story arcs that are really about other people mm-hmm. and then given his own stories and how all that works and all of the things that have, that have happened to this character, which in universe, he was being used and manipulated in a lot of these circumstances yes. as well. Yes. And out of universe, we see all of these different people looking at him from different angles until he gets so internally splintered that he doesn't know which angle, at, you know, to look at himself either. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Brubaker can take all of that history turn it into a like a one issue meditation on Mm -hmm. what being a superhero will do to people like if you actually look at it from the inside out i think that a lot of times especially those of us who are less familiar with superhero stories we see them from the outside in there he is he's got his hand on his hips cape flying he's saving people and that's all there is Rather than thinking about what that experience must be like from the inside, how lonesome it is to be a superhero, and that people may Mm -hmm. deeply, deeply desire that looking at it from the outside, thinking that it's just all wonderful to have that power and to have that, you know, um, the, the fancy identity and the hero worship that so many people will give you without realizing that internally, at the very least, you've got two identities. Many of these people have way more. More than that. And you're carrying <laughs> the weight of the world on your shoulders at all times. I think that what I, re- I love the way that Brubaker is really deeply investigating the psychological, the human impact of that um, on yeah, these people yeah. who are, before they are anything else, people. You know, um, mm-hmm, I really kind of mm-hmm. love that. I just just talking about this with you makes me like this issue so much more. And I liked it already. This is okay. I, I, I do have. I didn't want to tease you with this, but <laughs> but this story, uh-huh. the whole thing, like Brubaker's whole run, right. really becomes about a lot of identity stories. Like yeah. people who used to be Captain America showed up. There will be new Captain's America that show up. There's And there have been other Captain's America in the past who will kind of bubble up. Also, I I mean, it's just a lot of, there are just a lot of identity stories wrapped up in Brubaker's run about who is Cap, who isn't Cap, who is, like, there's just, it's a lot of it. And all of that is kind of set up. You you get inklings of it here with, like, um, the reflections in the window, you know, kind of thing. Um, So you, it's not like it comes out of nowhere, but it's very subtle in Mm -hmm. this part of the story. And it just gets less and less subtle. As we go. And so from that perspective, it's really interesting because I've been saying this is kind of an oddball issue out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. This interlude, they know it. It's billed as an interlude. But it is the right moment, I think, to set the stage for these identity stories that are just going to be popping from here on out. Mm -hmm. To speak directly to your what does it do to people to be a superhero, I I think... There are so many different answers to this, too, and that it doesn't always have to be this, like, fracture of your psyche kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one reason that I really appreciate uh, Batman as best dad <laughs> is because the idea of recreating a family that can't be taken from him. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, they will go out as a family to make sure that other people's families don't get taken from them is, like, a natural outgrowth of the theme. You know, and so for for this, for somebody who gets portrayed often as the most broken superhero, which is total bullshit for most of his history, because just look, he's surrounded by people that love him and support him, you mm-hmm. know, and you get Spider-Man who goes it alone 99% of the time. Um, and, and I think uh, 
This is done, I, I'm not current, so I'm not sure how much they do this in the Ms. Marvel show, mm-hmm. but the first couple of arcs of her comic book, of Ms. Marvel's comic book, is very much this, I hero worship superheroes, I want to be a superhero so bad, mm-hmm. she gets what she wants, and she's like, oh, it kind of blows about <laughs> half the time, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. And she has to answer that question, so wh- what I really... This is the right, this fractured psyche, what has your fucked up retconned backstory meta narrative done to mm-hmm. this character is the right approach for this kind of like murky espionage, you know, kind of story. Yeah. But there are at least two or three or four other ways to approach that that are, you know, answering the same questions in different ways, which is great because they're individual characters. They should be different people. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I'm bringing you around a little bit because this really, I don't think I realized until this reading how much this meditation on identity sets up ongoing mm-hmm. sort of conversations on that topic. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. surprisingly important. Actually, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So after all of that discussion, did we get your overall response in there or? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, cause I like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's my overall response is I always enjoyed mm-hmm. the issue on its own merits, but thought that it was kind of weird, mm-hmm. you know, and then realizing with you in the last episode that we needed some space to let the Bucky reveal marinate. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like last last time we recorded, I'm like, oh, that's, yeah, we needed that space. And then this time me reading it going, oh, this is actually like subtly setting up a whole bunch of themes, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing, not specific characters, although there's a couple of those, but largely themes that are going to mm-hmm. continue throughout the whole thing. It just hadn't clicked with me until this time. So yeah, I, I've always appreciated this issue, but now I'm like, no, it belongs here mm-hmm. on every level. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. So when we're talking about the cover art, right? Yeah. We have this, I mean, it's such an incredible cover. We have Cap's red booted feet standing on a wet sidewalk over a missing poster advertising Jack Monroe, a.k.a. Nomad. And in the reflection in the water, we can see that Cap is not even looking at the poster. He might not have even noticed it, but he's in full Cap regalia. You see the shield. You see this Mm -hmm. reflection of everything. I think that Jack Monroe wanted to be, or at least wanted to be what it looked like from the outside, you know, yeah, um, and was yeah. never able to achieve. And I think that it is honestly, I think probably the, the saddest and most like internal representation of an experience uh, that we've seen in cover art so far. Yeah. Um, cover art can, can be incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just there to sell a book. Like yeah. famously, uh, in the 50s, DC figured out that if they put a gorilla on the cover, they sold more issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes the cover's just there to move the book. <laughs> sometimes it's an artistic expression, you know. Mm-hmm. I actually think that the way that this story is structured overall, uh, not this issue, but Brubaker's run so far, has actually not given them a lot of opportunity to do really great covers. Like, they've been mm-hmm. pretty, but they haven't necessarily yeah. been resonant with what's going on 
in the issue. Mm-hmm. There have been exceptions. Cap over the graves, uh, sure. you know, is one. Mm-hmm. But this one, yeah, I feel like there's a lot going on here. Like when I read your notes and I was, and you were thinking, oh, maybe Cap doesn't even see the posters. Like I read right. this a little differently. Uh-huh. So because there's not one, po- there's one prominent poster. But right. if you look at the cover, there's a bunch of them. They're like they've over. just been discarded, mm-hmm. right? And and so for me, I feel like. It looks like Cap on the hunt, right? Like he's oh. looking for Jack Monroe. He's uh-huh. serious about it. Like eyes on the horizon. Where is my friend? Right? Yeah. Focus, serious. But all around him are these discarded missing posters. So like he's serious about it, but the world doesn't give a shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like like he's could not be more dedicated to finding Jack Monroe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, no one else cares. And it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. Right? To The look for is hopeless. And when you read the actual story, you come to realize... It absolutely is hopeless, like yeah. from Jack's perspective also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is one that really I felt like they that because it's a one off and because it's doing this very specific thing for exactly one issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of the more like resonant. Never mind the fact that it's the saddest fucking thing in the world <laughs> uh, com- in, combi- in combination with the issue. You know, yeah. this is good stuff. Yes, and in the interior art as well, we're seeing a lot of these reflections. We're seeing the world that Jack Monroe sees and in which his actions are deeply heroic and self-sacrifice and doing all of the things that a hero should do with the last breaths in his body. He's still trying to protect people. And then we see the reality of what is, is there. And it's the exact same panel, but with different details that show us Mm -hmm. that maybe the guys that he's beaten up are just dudes. Like they weren't doing anything, you know, were they even doing anything wrong? He sees villains and they're just dudes, you know? Um, Uh So you see them in the ground, on the ground, writhing on the ground, sometimes, you know, likely dead on the ground, right? The bodies. Um, And they're in exactly the same position. They've sustained the same injuries. So all of what Jack Monroe is doing to them, the effect on the external world Mm -hmm. is absolutely real. But his understanding, his interpretation of the narrative, which narrative is just the meaning that a story has, um, his interpretation of the narrative of that situation um, is completely different in which he is the hero. And in the other one, he is likely the bad guy, the villain, you know. Um, And so I find that to be so interesting, especially when we've done so much meditation on, you know, during this run on why the villains are doing what they're doing. Everybody is the hero of their own story. We're all serving the greater good, but yet there's a lot of damage done that when we Mm -hmm, justify mm -hmm. with the greater good, we often ignore the damage that we're doing. Like we can't hold those two thoughts at the same time, you know? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I found it really, I mean, again, like, you know, I struggle with unreliable narrator, but I thought that this representation was beautiful and just making such a statement about the ways in which our own personal narratives will completely alter the reality of a situation. So it's worth saying we have different artists for this single issue than Mm -hmm. we have for any of the other stuff. Uh, We've been following Steve Epting as the main artist with Michael Lark as the flashbacks up till Mm -hmm. now. In this issue, we get John Paulion and Tom Palmer, and we get a really different art style Mm -hmm. than what we've had before. It's not cartoonish, but it's definitely less photorealistic. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And it actually made me wish that in those couple of panels... 
yeah. where we, the reader, get a glimpse of what real life was, I almost wish they, they would have gotten Epting or Lark to draw those panels, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Just those panels so that we're like, oh, yeah, that's real. Right. And the rest of this is, is mm-hmm. less so. Oh. Because I, I don't think it's an accident that they chose somebody less. Again, it's not cartoonish, but it's less overtly realistic. And right. partly mm-hmm. we're going to get like a whole page of psychedelic mind fracture mm-hmm. that I don't think Lark or Epting could have done, honestly. <laughs> like it's outside of their wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? And that's some incredible um, artwork, too, when we get into the yeah. fracture of Jack's mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I yeah I love I love the the fracturing of the mind stuff I love that uh, uh, like this is the gutter doing some of that real work too yes. right like we've talked about how we can do passage of time we can mm. do all kinds of things in the gutter in this case we literally went from unreality to reality yeah in between mm-hmm. the gutter just for us the reader yeah. like that is a little uh like like omniscient narrator out sure. of nowhere mm-hmm. which I think in a novel would be kind of cheaty. But in the comics, it's like right. we're always riding on their shoulder. We never yes. get to see. Exa- I, I mean, I mentioned this once before that mm-hmm. uh, I like stories that every now and then remind us yes. everyone in the Marvel Universe isn't riding on the shoulder of the superheroes mm-hmm. like we the reader are. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like that mm-hmm. with this just like one panel to the next. Boom. And then again, at the end, we leave Jack mm-hmm. because he's dead. Yeah. And we get the the big reveal that he has absolutely not been doing what he thinks he's doing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's revealed to us, the reader, both with the art and the dialogue, after Jack has literally exited he the scene as hard leaving. as he can. Yes, exactly. Like, his back this is, is usually turned to that art if he's not gone entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and for, uh, but we get to see. Yes. And I, it's just, again, it's a, it's a thing I want to, you know, point out to you who is not as familiar with comics that this is the kind of stuff that I feel like comics can do uh, in a way that novels or sh- you yeah. know, like prose, literally cannot without mm-hmm. without kind of breaking without some, switching you know, POV cardinal or rules. Yes, it, POV you know, exactly, switch. Exactly, exactly. And mm-hmm. movies can do this too, but it's usually uh, more visually overt. Yes. I think like you, mm-hmm. you would have a much more stark, you would have something more like what I was talking about with Epting doing the realistic panels. You would right. have some kind mm-hmm. of like obvious unreality right. to reality switch mm-hmm. in movies. Whereas this one, it's very subtle mm-hmm. um, and comics can do this and other ways to tell a story can't. And it winds up being really impactful, I think, yeah. to the way that we read Jack's story mm-hmm. or the end of Jack's story right. is what it really is. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, Also in this issue, and this is one of the things, again, like as I've come into comics, I realized that like we use every part of the pig, right? You know, if you have like here we have a need for a doctor character with um, Jack Monroe. Oh, yes. Considering that within this comics universe, we have a gazillion characters that we're keeping track of. Let's use somebody. Who do we have in the, you know, in the panel or in the history of this that's a doctor? We've got Jane Foster, of course, who is is Thor's, you know, on again, off again paramour, right? Um, And no mention of Thor, no mention of that history. If you know who Jane Foster is, if you know, you know, it's one of those situations, right? right? So we bring in Jane Foster, I'm so pleased that we didn't do any background on that. It's an Easter egg if you know it. And if not, it doesn't take anything away. Um, So here we have her as the doctor. She's like, well, dude, you know, you're going to die. Here are all of the reasons because of the ways in which your body has been abused to serve Mm -hmm. this superhero purpose, you know, 
all of these things are are combining all of this history, all of this experience, all of this medical, you know, fuckwittery that has been done to you predominantly by <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, now leaves you broken and dying. And sorry, you know, like that sucks. Yeah. And let's keep an eye on things. Um, and uh, And then we've got, in addition... This whole weird shit with Jack Monroe was actually with another Steve Rogers who was such a big fan of of the original Cap and had made himself look like Steve Rogers and was going out pretending he was Cap, um, which is a whole other thing. Like just the the insane stuff that has happened to Jack throughout the history, how he landed into this wasn't even real. The entrance yeah. point for Jack into this world, into this experience, wasn't even real. And that, to me, feels like, first of all, thematically on point. Way to stick to a theme, Joe yes. Baker, right? Yeah. You know? um, but then we're telling well, the way story to pick up about other yeah. people's threads. Exactly. Like that, you know, to to not just stay on theme with a character you made up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like like you and I have both done that ourselves. Like right. that's not easy anyway, but if yeah. you're making the thing from the ground up, you can do it. This is Brubaker staying on that theme by picking up threads since 1953, I right. think, and tying them all together. Yeah, it's very so impressive. beautifully with like a golden rope. Like he is really mm-hmm. taking all of these things that actually happened. And even though they were written by different people with different intentions at the time that they were written, yes, he's taking yes. all of this like incredibly messed up history and pulling it all together in a way that thematically is so incredibly resonant. Like he's finding a theme that takes all of this backstory and makes it kind of come together in this like really oddly harmonious, you know, like song. It's just, it's, it's such an incredible, like deft move. And as somebody, you know, like when you watch Simone Biles, you know, and like anybody can watch Simone Biles and be like, wow, that's some amazing shit, you know, but like as a story expert, to be coming into this and interacting with Brubaker's work. Like, I have never read mm-hmm, this man before. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about him coming into it. And now I'm like, oh, this dude is serious business. Like, he knows what he's doing to such an extent. And has, I think, I am what I'm seeing in his work is such incredible respect for what has come before him. And he's like, I'm going to pick this. I'm going to use this every part of the pig. And he's finding a way to make a meal from these random parts of pig that is just like, it is Simone Biles level, like amazing. Um, So I'm just so impressed with all of that. He, he's really one of the greats. Like, I Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm making a controversial statement at all that like, there's a reason Mm -hmm. we talk about Brubaker. There's a reason that this story was picked up pretty quickly for, uh, for the MCU, like, oh, we're going to do it different, but we're going to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because there was just all this, all this stuff immediately baked into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's really good. And in fact, if anybody wants to uh, read some options from Brubaker that are not uh, superhero related, mm-hmm. if superheroes are not as much your bag, or if you're liking this, but you want the espionage stuff. Um, I'm just going to do a couple of quick recs because yes. Velvet is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Velvet is what if Money Penny were actually James Bond? Ooh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So that aspect, and I think, yeah, Epting does the art 
on that oh, one too. So it's yeah. this 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 squad just like whoop, we're just gonna go do this pu- mm-hmm. more pure espionage story. Also, um, I've mentioned before he did a book called Criminal that is uh-huh. like uh, intergenerational, uh, and when family a cr- a criminal family, but mm-hmm. I don't mean like high class organized crime mafia style, <laughs> just like. As you've heard me say, just a family of ongoing low rent hoods, right. you know, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> um, that's a little reductive. So anybody out there who's like, Josh, you're barely doing it justice. I'm doing it in two sentences. Just go with me. But yeah, would recommend checking both of those those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me, I'll speak a little bit of comic book history to you as yes, to yes, why yes. some of this mm-hmm. happened to Jack mm-hmm. Monroe. Because this is the other amazing part is that like Jack Monroe you're saying his entry into the superhero world wasn't even real. You mean that on multiple levels, no shit. Because the stories that they are referencing that are Cap and Bucky in the 1950s were actually written in the 1950s as Steve and Bucky. Because remember, I told you, they don't die on panel. Right. Right. We find that out in the 60s when the Avengers pull him out of the water. So there's like this tiny span of time in the 50s when Stan Lee does a few more Captain America stories and he they become like anti-communist guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like they're fighting. The, they get a new Red Skull who is red, you mm-hmm. know, as in scare. Why they didn't call that guy the Red Menace. Shameful. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Or even the Red Scare. Mm-hmm. But, uh, those were supposed to be still Steve and Bucky because they hadn't written an ending to their wartime stuff. They just didn't write it. Yeah. Well, then that never really goes anywhere because mm-hmm. that's that in-between space where in-between Timely and mm-hmm. uh, or in-between Atlas and Marvel when they're not Marvel yet. Then they become Marvel. They bring Captain America back. Now they have these sort of embarrassing in-between stories. And we all could have just ignored them and pretended that they never got published. But that is not how superhero fans work. <laughs> Or superhero writers, for that matter, because somebody came along and had to make this work, which is where they introduced this character who is so Mm -hmm. obsessed with Captain America that he does his thesis. He's a professor of American history and does his thesis on Captain America Mm -hmm. and finds in these Nazi files three quarters of the super soldier formula and he's able to recreate it and Uh he gives it to himself and starts operating as Captain America. Uh, Jack discovers this, also gets shot full of this uh, mm-hmm. super soldier serum. And the trick, the the this is the first thing, is that what they establish is they got the serum, but not the Vita rays. Ah. And it was the Vita rays that evened them out. So they actually have superhuman strength, whereas uh, Steve is usually portrayed as being a peak human, just the best right. that a human being can do, mm-hmm. but not superhuman. Mm-hmm. And it's the Vita rays that chilled that out, but it's also the Vita rays that kept him from going crazy, kept right. him from having a psychotic break from the serum. That's not so great for Steve too and Jack, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is, that's all introduced way later in the 70s, I believe, <laughs> to explain stories that happened in the 50s that we all could have just ignored. Right. But now we're making it all fit together. You know, how was right. there a Steve and Bucky? And this is the, in the 50s, and this is the answer to mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right from the beginning, Jack's insertion into the Marvel Universe is itself a retcon. Yes. And so his entry into superheroing is unreal 
at a meta level and in the narrative. Oh my god. How crazy is that shit? That is so nuts. And here's the thing, like um for anybody who is unfamiliar with what the idea what retcon is, first of all Joshua just explained it perfectly with the illustration um but it's retroactive continuity it's when something happens in a story and then later on at some point uh we decide whoever's creating this story decides that no that's not actually what really happened because we want to do something different with this story so we're taking a different direction Mm -hmm. so sometimes they do just ignore sometimes they do just pretend it never happened um in comic books what we are seeing here in this illustration of retcon is going back in time saying uh, explain Explaining it with some, you know, story underneath that was mm-hmm. not present at the time because that was nobody's intention when writing those stories um, and explains how all of this happened. How did we have a Cap and a Bucky when Cap and Bucky were dead? Um, and then we also go back and then put every adventure that they had during that time in a different context through a different yes. lens. And it does kind of beautifully go back and say this, you know, when they were participating actively, you know, on the McCarthy side, it appears of yeah, the yeah. of that kind of, you know, um, of movement. They were like, no, Cap wouldn't have done that. Here's what actually happened. Somebody who loved Cap ended up, you know, losing their connection with reality and just yes. going in the wrong direction. Um, and then you write the ship. And then now we bring in, because of that, we have created Jack Monroe you know, from nothing, Mm -hmm. given him all of this history, given him this destabilizing effect, um, and then thrown him into the already moving stream of this story. Um, It is something I think that happened. It happens in deeply serialized stories where we have those retcons, you know, soap operas, comic books, I think are probably where this most commonly happens. Um, And then sometimes with uh, reboots and reimaginings, we'll see that happen, you know, where somebody Mm -hmm, takes something mm -hmm. from the original story and says, no, 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 that's not what happened. Um, So like as an illustration of a retcon, this is probably the most complex and beautiful illustration of how that happens and then what happens. And then here we bring in this kid who was a kid when all of this happened, um, starting in unreality um, and then being formed out of this need for a retcon. And then what do we do? With this kid now, you know, who destabilized, been running around, you know, maybe even believing that he is Bucky, you know, um, it's just so incredibly complex. And, you know, we've got this identity soup thing going on here. He's been so many people. He's been so many things. Now he's dying, losing his mind. He doesn't know who he is. He's connected to nothing. There's nothing tethering him at all. Right. You know? um, well, there is. There's one thing tethering yeah. him, but he and boy, those of us who have had some mental health struggles will really vibe with this. He does have one tether which he refuses to make contact with. Yeah. Like how many times in the story? It's at least a handful of times that he mm-hmm. says, I should call Steve and then absolutely and does then not. Does not. Absolutely. Um, you know, which again, yeah, anybody who's had struggles with mental health issues can there's that resistance to to reaching out and getting the help for a lot of different reasons, you know? Um mm-hmm. it's mostly because it's very, very frightening. Because what happens then? What happens then? Yeah. You know? Um, so then we have this, like, you know, at the end, Bucky says Jack Monroe, you know? Yes. Um, and he's seeing Bucky as 
the Bucky that he was. And so it's him, you know, finishing himself um, and all during this mission to protect this daughter that had been adopted, that was in a new family, that was okay. Um, he shows up in this town after getting the information that leads him to his daughter. That's when he's killed. So there's also this, who sent him that information? If Bucky sent him that information to bring him to this town, why did he have to kill him in this town? Like, all of that stuff feels uh, like, for me, I didn't understand why that was happening because Bucky is is like he can go anywhere track down Jack Monroe and kill him why connect him with this daughter he never knew and why you know why would he want to give him this last he doesn't know that he's going to take on this mission and imagine these drug dealers you know um and imagine this threat for his daughter that the last thing he's going to do like that's incredibly meaningful for Jack but like why would Bucky do that why would anybody send him that information or did somebody else send him that information that Bucky just happened to find him in this space? Like who did that? Why did they do it? What was that about? Is that a question you can, without spoilers, is that a question that is going to be answered or is that just kind of something that floats around? Well, I, I think that not in this issue, but in this arc, I yes. think that there is uh, an answer. Okay. There. All right. And, and, and uh, I don't want to do this for pedantry, but for our purposes of not getting confused, I think we need to talk about Bucky and Winter Soldier, like James Buchanan Barnes and the Winter Soldier as different people. Okay. Right. right. Okay. And I think that's important for what I'm going to say about the symbolism of the mm-hmm. murder you know, of Jack right. Monroe's murder. Like, it's going to get confusing if I don't make that delineation. <laughs> it's very, it's, well, it's interesting, too, because it is the Winter Soldier who actually kills Jack, right? But what yes. Jack sees is him, I think, himself as Bucky. So there's just this, it's this turducken of identity. It goes so it's, yes. it's identities all the way down. There's so many different layers of things that are happening here. So in reality, it is not him killing himself, except in like a metaphorical reality kind of is him killing himself. It's a um, conceptual version yes. of himself killing mm-hmm. himself, right? Yes. It's the version. I think, I think it's multiple things at once, which yes. is why it's fun. Cause mm-hmm. what he's, if he was seeing reality, he'd be seeing the winter soldier. Yes. Who looks like Bucky five or eight years older. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And part of Jack's deal was that he bears a resemblance to James Buchanan Barnes, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's part of how he wound up in the outfit Um, originally. Like, like the the Steve, too, saw that, right? So he sees, Jack sees the Winter Soldier in the guise of Bucky. Remember, we have to separate... Right. James Buchanan Barnes from Bucky, the superhero yes. identity, right? Mm-hmm. So a guy who has been Bucky sees another guy who has been Bucky when both of them are not Bucky, but he sees him as Bucky because throughout the whole issue, Jack right. has been slowly being murdered psychologically from within, he feels, mm-hmm. of a version of himself that was Bucky, right? Like this this, yes. this fake version that is not Bucky or Jack, but is some horrible mishmash of the two. It's a lot. Like, it it's a lot of psychological lot. stuff. And the more we talk about it, the more I like this issue. It's a lot of layers, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of oh, stuff going the, on. The yes. logistical answer. The logistical yes. answer is, I think... It is my supposition that Lucan 
is responsible for the file on Jack's daughter showing up where okay. Jack is. Okay. And I think that this is, there's a couple of layers because Lucan also does everything in layers. Yeah. He didn't know that Jack would specifically decide this ice cream man was a drug dealer. Right. But he did know, Lucan did know that he was sending a super powered, unstable person into an emotionally charged situation vis-a-vis -vis the adopted daughter yes. or the daughter that was given up for adoption. Right. So he knew he was sending an unstable man into an unstable situation and was, I'm going to say, somewhere between hoping and banking on that would lead Jack to do some mayhem. Because remember, yes. and you've read ahead a little bit where they really hang a lampshade on this, but they were doing mm -hmm. it already. Mm -hmm. Jack's the patsy. Yeah. Jack is supposed to be the one right. on paper who does all the stuff the Winter Soldier is doing. That's not right. an accident. Lucan's creating that situation. And so I think the file just showing yeah. up both puts Monroe in a very destabilizing mm -hmm. situation and also makes sure that Lucan knows where he's going to be when it's time for the Winter Soldier to put a bullet in yeah. him and him in the trunk. So I, okay. I think it's Lucan. Lucan is working a a, a you know three dimensional. So people chess. investigating are not seeing a former superhero who just suddenly did something out of character. They're seeing a former superhero who had destabilized, who was doing yeah. all of this, um, this you know, like the, creating mayhem in this small town, right? Um, yeah. And then, and if they can connect so that mayhem to the bombs, to the yes, yes. Okay, that absolutely makes sense. I love it. I love it. So I don't, that's obviously because we're very in Jack's POV for this. So that's not yeah. baked into this issue specifically, but I don't think that's a big leap. It's I think that that leap. makes yeah. a lot of inherent sense considering what we know about Lucan, the Winter Soldier, mm -hmm. and Jack himself. Okay, so Josh, tell me, what is your favorite art um, from this issue? Uh, it's spread out over a couple of different places, and I kind of tipped the my hand a little bit because yeah. of how much work the gutter is doing. But it's yes. every time that it's revealed to us, the readers, that Jack is not fighting who he thinks he's fighting, mm -hmm. right? And it's because it's so subtle, they don't really do anything to draw a big arrow to it. It's just one panel to the next panel, yeah. Those weren't bikers or gangbangers. Those were just dudes in suits, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. It's uh um yeah, it just lets it lets the gutter and us do the work. Yeah. And that shows both a command of the craft and also a trust in smart audiences that yeah. I really, really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I love the psychedelic page. Right. Uh, where Jack doesn't know who he is and the different realities in his head rip through each other. And the thing is, is that all of this, you know, throughout this issue are these deeply muted colors. Very rarely do mm -hmm. we see a moment that is well lit, that is bright, that mm -hmm. feels bright. Right. But we have through these again, like the, the gutters, you know, in the panels, these these black like yes. lightning, jagged lightning strikes of bright, vibrant color. Um, kind of tearing, like a violently tearing their way into a reality that is significantly darker, more shadowed, more muted. And yeah, that yeah. page just stood out to me as 
so like first of all beautifully done like as a piece of art just very very interesting and intriguing and it looks beautiful um but it also conveys this you know the destabilized you know interior space for jack um it displays the violence of these identities ripping him from the inside yes, we see yes. the fingers of the hero coming out through his mouth and literally tearing Jack apart into pieces. And the page does that in such a beautiful way and really conveys that violence while at the same time giving us the only part of Jack's reality that is bright and vibrant and mm -hmm. feels alive, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so the contrast of that, the violence with that sense of brightness and light and and um, clarity, you know, that those those parts yeah. of those panels have, I think is just such a beautiful artistic expression of what is happening here and what this internal experience would feel like, you know, mm -hmm. um, just I think absolutely beautiful. Uh, what's your favorite part of the story? Uh, there is a line that Jack specifically thinks to himself where he says, sad to realize this now. But what has Jack Monroe been if not just a shadow of other men? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've talked about all of this, yeah. you know, like like how many different versions of himself that there have been. And all of them, mm -hmm. all of them stand in the shadow of somebody else. Yeah. A fake Captain America, the real Captain. I mean, he's the most healthy when he's standing yeah. in the shadow of the real Captain America. But even mm -hmm. that is not like the best for right. him. Mm -hmm. um, he's been used as a tool, as Scourge. Um, and then again, by shield to mm -hmm. a certain extent, like, um, it, yeah, it just, it spoke very much to Jack in this story in a really yeah. poignant way. And also spoke to me on mm -hmm. what living in a sprawling, never ending shared universe can do, right. you know, even like to, to, to this kind of like B or C level character. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, it's like, yeah, pretty much everybody is the longer they exist in this ongoing shared universe, the more fucked up they ought to be. Yeah, um, absolutely. Th that, yeah, that line was just, just huge to me. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, in one way it kind of gives away the game, yeah. but it happens so early, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a, such a sane realization before he really starts to go off the rails yeah. that you, to me, it feels like if he had called Steve or if he had called Dr. Foster back, that there was a chance he wasn't going to live. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, but maybe he would have been less tortured in yeah. his final days. He was starting to come to some kind of like personal revelation about his life. Mm -hmm. And then he's just like, but no, I'm going to punch drug dealers instead and puts it on the shelf. And mm -hmm. it's like, uh, that's the break that causes or not causes, but sort of exacerbates all the further breaks. Yeah. It just it hit me hard. What about yourself? What's your favorite story part? You know, I mean, I'm, I, I definitely like after our discussion um, like uh, retroactively enjoyed this issue a lot more than I think <laughs> I did when I was actually writing it or than I did when I was actually reading it. Um, but I think it's this moment, you know, this, this exhale, like at the end, right? Jack is dead in the trunk of his car, mm -hmm. killed by himself, kind of, but also mm -hmm. killed by the kind things of. that he had been thrown into, right? You know, um, and as the car drives away, we see that the guys he thought were drug dealers, the ones he was staking out, the ones he was there to probably kill, right? Right. 
were legitimately yeah, yes. just driving That's an exactly ice cream who he was waiting on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um so those those guys live, you know, through the day, right? Um because Jack, our hero, was slain. And the yes. the sadness of all of this, I think this is probably, and again, I haven't read a lot of comic books, but this is probably the saddest story I've ever seen told, um, you know, in this, in this format. And, um, and it, it, it weighs so heavily. And that moment and that, like the last thing that he was going to do, that a tragic event kept him from perpetrating more tragedy on people who were innocent, um, when he thought he was doing good. Um, to me, that is, it's just so incredibly tragic. And it, it's an end for Jack that there's no opportunity for redemption to make it right, to fix what he's done. There's that, that, that opportunity that life gives us, you know, that redemptive opportunity, that hope is so completely extinguished, just like a candle. Like, that's it. Um, and it's so incredibly sad and tragic. And even though Jack is the bad guy in this issue, like I, I have such incredible empathy for him and such sadness for him. Um, and then that daughter who has no idea, you know, what was going on. She's just like, there was a man I just saw and then he's gone. You know, and that's yeah. it. And that's her connection with the And kind of thank goodness. Yeah, Maybe I Maybe she'll right. get a shot because right. she's not connected because to this. Because she doesn't know, you know. And um, yeah, just so, so powerful and so sad. You make me want to give my honorable mention. Yes. Because the on- my, my, my art honorable yes. mention actually mm-hmm. leads directly into this realization that Jack was about to do. I mean, we've seen, yeah. we've had hints mm-hmm. that he was doing awful things, but this was going to be real bad. He was yeah. going to murder an ice cream man. Exactly. For giving children ice cream. Yes. And the honorable mention is the few panels where Winter Soldier mm-hmm. says Jack Monroe. Yeah. He turns around, he sees some version of Bucky yes. and then says, do I know you? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. First of all, that question. <laughs> Yeah. But the Winter Soldier's answer is no. And when he, in the panel where he says no, first of all, he's right on a variety of levels. On a variety of levels, yes. But that panel, he is in darkness. You can't even see him because of the muzzle flash. Yeah. Ooh. And then the very next thing, he's dumped in the trunk and we find out the ice cream man lives another day because the Winter Soldier stopped Jack from doing something even worse. Every single thing in this book works towards that end. It's ridiculously well done. It is unbelievably well done. And there's so many layers in here, um, which I think is incredible. And I'm kind of sad. Like, I mean, I'm sad because of this issue, which is so incredibly heartbreaking and sad. But I'm also sad that we are now going to be leaving this Captain America universe. I'm kind of sad that we're not going to be having more of these discussions, at least right now, about where this not story right is going. Yeah. But at the same time, also excited about starting Justice League. So tell us what, what's up um, What's uh, at bat for next week. All right. We will be back next week with the first arc of Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's JLA. So it's JLA number one, A New World Order, part one, Them. 
In this first issue, an alien super team shows up on Earth and seems to out Justice League the JLA, but little does anyone know, other than Batman, because that's his goddamn job, that the Hyper Clan is not in fact who they seem. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish. <laughs>